This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Jessica Heron Arkham of Knox. When she was in her 20s, she fell through a stairwell and landed on her head. She was in a coma and had to be resuscitated several times. It made her angry when people told her that things happen for a reason. But now she realizes she learned so much, especially on the road to recovery. She's just published her first novel, which opens with the description of a terrible car accident. Barkham, who has wanted to be a writer her whole life, stresses that the book is not autobiographical. The novel is at once a romance and a testimonial to the powers of alternative medicine for healing. It's so riveting from the moment you start the book because the prologue has a mother who clearly is in tune with her daughter just from the little conversation as they drive along in a car returning from a dental appointment. And they're smashed by someone who ran a red light. And this is a traumatic event that sets the scene for everything that unfolds. So is it painful for you to tell us about your own accident and what what that was like when that occurred and how you recovered? Uh, Well, you know, I, I, that was a lot of my recovery actually was in learning and how to deal with my own accident. And um, no, I mean, I, you know, it, it, this was not autobiographical novel. Um, This is fiction. Um, My accident was not in a car accident. It was a bad fall. It happened when I was in my 20s. And um, another girl spun me around and we fell through a um, a stairwell and I ended up on my head. (laughs) So so it was a very terrible accident. I I was in a coma, you know, um, but I did recover and thankfully, and, um, I had to be resuscitated a couple times. So I've been, you know, I, I mean, a lot of what I write about is, you know, based in, on experience, my own personal experiences. I mean, but it's, like I said, it's not autobiographical. I hear you. You've said that twice now, but I think almost every writer I've ever talked to, even if it's not like a memoir, not strictly autobiographical, Writers draw on things that come from their own lives, and that's what makes the writing vivid and real because you understand certain things. And there seem it seems like they're two separate <laughs> kinds of books almost that come together in this novel. There's a romance that has its own life and kept me up reading until two in the morning <laughs> to see how it turned out. And then there is almost... Um, like an explication of this form of alternative medicine that I had not been aware of before I read your book. And I wonder if we could just start by talking about that part, um, craniosacral therapy, I think I'm saying that right. If you could just tell us a little bit about, um, about what that is. Yes. Um, well, one of the things I love most about it is that it enables a body to heal itself. 
So it sounds very counterintuitive. You go to a doctor, you want to get fixed. But actually, um, with this form of healing and with a lot of alternative medicine, I would say all of alternative medicine, what it does is it triggers your own immune response and um, in multiple ways. I mean, craniosacral is not, obviously, it doesn't doesn't really treat viral infections. It, it is more of a... Um, well, it's, you know, body, mind, spirit, and um, and I, I am hoping my book will open up that discussion of why all those things are important to deal with when somebody needs healing. And, um, you know, Western medicine is awesome. I mean, I have no, you know, I, my twin brother is actually an MD-PhD. I mean, you know, so that's very much in my family. But I will say where it falls short, where where Western medicine falls short, is in the rest of it, in the other healing that we all need to learn how to do and how to help each other do. And um, I think that that's one of the, it's really one of the biggest problems we have is mental health and spiritual health in this country. And I'm not talking religion. I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to propose that everybody has to go to church. I'm just talking about recognizing the other dimensions that we all have all around us all the time and that we need to recognize in order to be healthy and happy people. Yeah. Yes. Well, both you and your central character, Rebecca, uh, make a big point of saying, Western medicine is important and works because as a seven-year-old, she was in this accident and in a coma, and that's what saved her life, she says in the book. But she has conversations with people, um, her yoga instructor, um, a woman that's a practitioner, um, a co-worker, so that you almost get this um, description about how this works. But are you a practitioner of this yourself? Yes, yes. And, and that's one of the things that has helped me tremendously. And, um, and I've been able to help other people. And that's what that's a very healing thing, too, in and of itself. So um, I actually one of the things that was a real marker in my own recovery was when I took care of my grandmother. It was before I was a craniosacral therapist, but my grandmother had a stroke and I went and I lived with her for a time to help her recover from that. And, um, you know, really it's, and I would say that that's part of the spiritual aspect of it. You know, we all want to help each other. I mean, ultimately we are all in it together and we all, you know, what, what else is the purpose, you know? And so this, you know, the, the fact that there's so much like, oh, alternative medicine is quackery or, you know, and all this stuff. It's just, it's crazy. They're two sides of the same coin. We all are in it together and, and it's all important, you know, and we're all important. Well, especially now, these last two years with the <laughs> coronavirus, it's just, there's so many studies on people's mental health suffering because so many of us have been in isolation and not part of our usual intersection and routine. So <clears throat> it's a good time for a book like this. What if you could just describe to us like what the healing itself consists of, like what a session might be like when you're working with a person? 
Yeah. Um, well, people are fully clothed. So, you know, anybody who feels funny about that aspect of it, I mean, you're fully clothed, you're underneath the blanket, it's very comfortable. And, um, and what a therapist does is they tap into the different rhythms, the different craniosacral rhythms of the body. And, um, you know, the, the bones, et cetera, it all moves and craniosacral therapists are trained to, um, with the weight of a nickel, touch somebody and they can feel different movements and different movement patterns and energetic patterns too, throughout the body. I mean, the longer that you do it, the, the, you know, arguably the better that you get at it. Um, and so what you do is you, you tap in and then you see where there are um, irregularities. And, you know, somebody might be coming in for a knee injury and, um, you know, the, the craniopsychotherapist, they'll tap in, they'll see where they're drawn to. It may not be the knee. It may actually be the hip. It's because everything is connected and everything affects everything else. Now, the other interesting thing about craniosacrotherapy is that it's not just physical. I mean, it, it helps physical sprains, strains, et cetera, like everything like that. But it helps, well, it helps with things like depression as well. I mean, if you go in and you tap into the um, cranium and it's, you know, I mean, you know, it's been going on for a long time now. It, what, what you do is you is you find where the cranial bones are off and you help things release. And that can help with things like migraines, with uh, learning disabilities. It's been shown to help, um, you know, but it it takes time. I mean, you know, and there's no guarantees, of course, and, and people have to be willing to let go and to release what it is they're holding on to. But it also helps with dealing with trauma. I mean, I had this one client and no names involved, but I had a client who, who, um, had a knee injury and I was helping him release it. And cause he wanted to be in a, um, uh, half marathon. And, you know, at the end of the session, one of the most interesting things was, is he said, you know, Jessica, it was so weird because, you know, Throughout the session, I mean, I was thinking about when my sister was angry with my family and left the family. And, um, you know, he's like, I haven't thought about that in 20 years. And, you know, and, and that's that's what's so interesting, too, because so much is stored in our tissues. Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have so many stories. Yeah. <laughs> It is. It's very well. The uh, character in your book, the lead character Rebecca, is you know entering this um, with a history and is um, told by the person that is kind of helping her find her way through this that in New York State it is a very very stringent uh, process you have to go through in order to become certified to do that. Is that part of the book true? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Craniosacral therapists in New York get really extensive training and it keeps going up because now there is um, when I be when I originally became a craniosacral therapist, there was no continuing ed requirement. Um, you had a thousand hours you had to complete in order to become a craniosacral therapist and then you were done, you know. Um, but 
Now, um, you know, you have additional 36 hours a year that you have to complete. And, um, but in, uh, in states next door, that's not the case. You know, yeah, uh, you know. no, that's fascinating. That's what I mean. The book was like kind of an education about craniosacral therapy. And then this other part. So let's discuss the other part, because I wonder what made you decide to write this? Was it first the idea of doing a romance or was it first the idea of kind of exploring this alternative form of healing? Or did they just come uh, together? They kind of just came together. I um, I originally was thinking, well, there's the friendship that that hap- that you know that throughout the book um too and um you know relationships and the the whole thing and and i i guess i i've just been interested in how you know life does intersect and and what and what comes into play and how we're reliant on each other and how you know turning on each other is you know is is so problematic and and how um you know, we really have to pay attention and we have to pay attention to what's healthy for us and what's not. And, and, um, you know, life is complicated. <laughs> well, actually, <laughs> you mentioned the friendship. It's between Sarah and Rebecca. And that to me seemed more than the romance, which is certainly the thread that carries you through in terms of plot. But that to me seemed like the center of the book, that friendship and how it broke apart and then came back together. And that's one of the things I've really liked about the book because so often um, female friendships aren't the center of books. You know, it's a male-female relationship that's the center of uh, most. So um, I I just love that. And the part, um, just I don't want to give away too much of it, but the Sarah character is someone who has entered a traditional path in life, is married, has three children, is living on a farm in the hill towns, which I thought was a a nice uh, thing for local readers. And I know it's not autobiographical, but some of those scenes with her as a mother of three young children just felt so real to me, remembering that stage of my life. And I mean, did you draw at least on some of your own experiences doing that? Yeah, very much so. I mean, you know, and I, I think, you know, it's important for people to recognize the challenges that women have, you know, and and how their lives are set up for these challenges and how they need each other for support and how oftentimes they don't get a whole lot of support. And, you know, and and I'm not, you know, casting stones at any any, you know, one person or anything. I'm just you know, I thought it was important to recognize that and to really, you know, say, you know, it's not easy being a mom and it's not easy, you know, um, trying to <laughs> trying to do it all, you know, and, and even when a woman isn't doing even when a woman is a stay at home mom, if, if she if she's a stay at home mom. She has many challenges as well. It's not, you know, sometimes it's easier to leave you know, <laughs> than to be there. And so um, I thought that that was important for, you know, to be expressed. I just... Yeah, no, I love that part. And the the love for her children is just palpable. And it comes out in these little tiny moments, like the the toddler crawling into bed in the morning with her or the the girl, is it Natalie, that gets hit, 
you know, coming down in a sled hits a tree and just like that moment you feel as a mother, oh, I should have been there. And um, it really, it, it captures the immediacy of it. And then it's a contrast to her former best friend, Rebecca, who's having this life in the city as the career woman and um, that they come together is really, I, I thought, very central to the book and very unusual. Um, but we also, I need to touch on this aspect of the book that just <laughs> comes out of the blue and really hits you. Maybe not out of the blue because you have little clues to it. Um, the mother who died in the car accident healed her daughter, and that's part of Rebecca's um, memory of her mother. And she ends up, when she has a breakup with her boyfriend, going back home and going to the attic and finding this book um, that relates back, I think it's four great-grandmothers who was in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1600s. And of course, if anyone reads Salem, they immediately think witches. And you actually have your character go to Salem. And um, just tell us, I'm assuming you went there yourself to write it in such a vivid way. Just tell us what what made you put Salem into the book and have this kind of backdrop of uh, uh, something most of us know from Hawthorne's book, but don't really have a clear idea of that part of history? Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that, you know, going back to like a woman's role, et cetera, and, and how women have been targeted, um, you know, a lot of people say that in, and from my research, et cetera, that the women, often the women that were hung as witches or targeted as witches through in, in, in the history, not just of Salem, of course, but in Europe, et cetera, um, were midwives often. They were healers. They knew how to do um, work with herbs, et cetera. And, and I would, and my, one of my arguments is that the craniosacral therapy, therapies like that, they probably were, were doing as well. And, um, and, you know, there's, as, as you know, oftentimes, like, what is history and what we have been told is history are a little different. And sometimes, and sometimes the ones that have been silenced, you know, are, you know, I mean, we just don't know the other half of the story that well. And I thought it was an interesting um, aspect to think about, you know, how women are treated and how women have been treated throughout history and their roles and how they've been downplayed and often silenced. And, um, you know, I think it also is reflected in a large portion of alternative healers are female. Not all of them, of course, and not all the witches that were hung were female either. But I would say that a lot of what want, what people want to be silenced because of power or, you know, people being threatened or et cetera, or, or misunderstood, you know, they get, they get silenced in different ways. So I thought it was an interesting thing to draw upon um, for the novel. And it kind of shows, you know, I mean, throughout history, how this has been a, a recurring theme and how we need to look at that. 
Yeah, and you even have your character, Sarah, study that as an NYU student, um, you know, go to Europe and, and look at those uh, witch trials there. But what about your own personal experience of visiting Salem to write this? I mean, it's such vivid writing. Did you stay in the Salem Inn that you described? Did you? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I did see a ghost. <laughs> I will say I did. And um, yeah, no, Salem. I, I love Salem. And one of the things actually, as I was writing the book, this is not why I wrote the book, but as I was writing the book, I did find out my own history in Salem, similar to what, what you know, Rebecca's history. I mean, I, I did draw upon that a little bit. My, my, uh, my ancestry um, was in Salem and left at the time of the witch trials, then went to Boston. Oh, isn't that interesting? And you had you not known that before you started researching this book? No, I did not know that. No. Oh, my gosh. So this became your own journey. (laughs) Yeah, it, it was so interesting because I was like, I was like, no kidding. You know, it was so weird. And then, and you know how, you know, but then that's also... You know, you wonder why you're drawn to do different things, you know, and, and what's speaking to you and why, you know, it's very interesting. But um, but yeah, I did learn that. And um, and my husband and I went to Salem and I did actually see a ghost. Um, and, it, you know, it is very interesting. And who was this ghost? Was this ghost somebody you recognized or was no? no. Because the ghost in the story has a specific purpose. I don't want to give away too much, but um, yeah. Oh, isn't that interesting? Did your husband share the ghost experience or was that just you personally saw no, the ghost? No, he actually, okay, so, I mean, I say the book isn't autobiographical and it's not, but there were explosions when I was there and my husband went to the window and, and oh. I opened my eyes and saw the ghost. So it was like, and oh, then he, wow. and then he left, he left the room and I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he just left me with the ghost and he didn't know, you know, so yeah. that was kind of funny afterwards. Oh my gosh. That is amazing. I, yeah. wow. Crazy, but it, it really did happen and it, it really, you know. But I, I don't think it's unusual in Salem. I think, <laughs> I think in Salem, a lot of people have those experiences. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe that's why so many go. It's kind of a tourist center yeah. for people that are interested and attracted to that kind of um, thinking. So, yeah. our time is rapidly running out. I just want to talk a little about this. This is just been published and how do people acquire this book and tell us about your book signing coming up oh great yeah um well it's on amazon um and it's on barnes and noble as well and i'm actually just getting it out to bookstores now so the open door in schenectady on the 5th i'm going on february 5th i am going to be signing the book um at it starts at one o'clock goes to two thirty. And that's on uh, J Street in Schenectady. So I'm very excited about that. We have to let people know the name of the book, which in itself is fascinating. It's Letting Go. go. And just tell us, because the phrase letting go actually occurs in the book several times. Just what what made you come up with that as a title? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's what so much of this is about. 
about healing and about learning to let go. I mean, people have to learn how to do it and learn how to do it completely. And, um, and that goes in so many different dimensions. And, um, but that's one of the things that I find so important about craniopsychotherapy is it really helps people to do that. So, so who do you hope will read this book? What's a good audience for this book? You know, I, I don't, I, I think that women are probably more targeted. Um, however, I hope men do read it as well. I think it's an important discussion. I'm, I'm hoping that it helps open up a discussion about healing and about, and about what's important about it and about how we can do it better as a society. And, and, um, you know, I'm just hoping that it helps people learn how, how, how to go about doing that. And just if parents are listening, it's something that's totally appropriate for teenagers to read because most romances have these hot and heavy sex scenes. And well, the the relationships are really important in the book. It doesn't have that. So, you know, you can you can have your teenager read it and have a talk about all kinds of things if, if that appeals to you. Well, what do you see in your future as an author? Um now that you've done your first novel, what's next? Well, I, you know, I have been thinking about it. I, I um, originally, I, you know, I wanted to write three, you know, a trilogy about with this, with, with this book. So we'll see how far that goes. <laughs> this would be the first, the first in a trilogy. Is that what you imagine? That was, that was my original intention, but it, it's a lot of work, these books, and it takes a long time. So, you know, but I, from what I understand, the first one is the hardest one to do <laughs> and that you get. How long, how long did you work on it for? How many years? I, I don't take? even want to say, but I, I will say okay. in the middle of it, I took five years off. So you can see that it, it spanned a, a long time. <laughs> so it took five, it, the, the five years off was, you know, I mean, I'm raising my children and, you know, and, yeah. and, and have my business and, you know, and so there was all that going on. Um, yeah. But, but now, you know, my kids are actually mostly in college and, and um, so my time is opened up a little bit more. So. But so when you started writing this, you did you have the arc in mind that you know the whole storyline in mind or did it change kind of as you went along it changed it i will say it it did change and um you know between the first and the second draft that's when i took the five years off i mean i really had to rethink you know um you know it, it's just restructuring and you know so there was a lot of that and you know, I mean, it's it, that is the hardest part, really. I would say about writing a novel is all the <laughs> all the edit editing. You know, I mean, there's a lot, and uh, and luckily, I was an English teacher, and I have English teacher friends, and I hired one to do the final editing, which is great. You know, I'm very appreciative of that, and um, so yeah, it's a uh, it, it is it's a lot of work, but I I. I, like I said, I always wanted to be a writer and I'm so glad I got it done and I'm very proud of it. And I hope that it helps people. Well, I know Virginia Woolf wrote A Room of One's Own. You know, this idea that a woman needs a, a separate space and sense of self to be able to write. So just tell us a little about 
where you write. Do you have a room of your own and how you write? Do you do it on a keyboard or do you do it with a pen or what? what's your problem? Well, I, I do kind of a combination, mostly on a keyboard. Um, but I've, you know, th- that that was a transition too. I mean, you know, this spans a long time. So <laughs> I wrote it on a lot of different things. And, yeah. um, and I mean, there were times when my I was writing in my car on my laptop when I was go- at my daughter's ballet, my, you know, I dropped my daughter off at ballet and I'd be, I'd be in the, in the car typing, you know, so there yeah. was that. <laughs> and, um, you know, and while my son had piano, I'd be in the other room, you know, I'd be in the other room at, luckily we had a very nice piano teacher and I would go into one of her other rooms and I'd be writing there too. So it was a lot of that. It was, you know, it, it, was, it was challenging. Just finding spaces where you can and places where you yeah. can. Oh, wow. That's yeah. great. Well, thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you for having me. I I really, I'm, I'm so appreciative. 